Well, good morning. That wasn't too exciting, huh? I'll give you another chance. Good morning. I don't want to offend anybody with this Georgia Cup, but uh, especially Russell there. Do you see that G there, Russell? Okay. Uh, just want to make sure I saw you had that Clemson jacket, so I want to make sure you saw that. All right. Okay. It's good to be back with you today. Uh, it, 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 this seems to be ringing to me. Is it ringing to y'all or is it just loud on me? Y'all can hear okay? If it's okay with y'all, then it's fine. All right. What I want to do this morning is talk to you, first of all, about what God says about money. And I'm going to sit a little bit because I'm going to be talking a lot, okay? And uh, so, whoa, okay, let's do this right. It, it lowered enough just with me on it. Okay, woo, all right. Um, and uh, share with you some things about what the Bible says about money from an overall view because what people don't always realize is the Bible has a lot to say about money. Matter of fact, the Bible says more about money than it does any other subject. And most times we don't think about that. We think that the Bible has more to say about love, grace, peace. And um, I find that most preachers, matter of fact, I went to a church not long ago, in a city and a church that will go unnamed. And I found out that the reason I was there, I was like the holy hit man. Because I found out later on that the, they said that the pastor was out of town. He was in a, in a, on a, doing a revival in another city in another state. And he had asked me to come and talk about money. And the associate pastor said, we're so glad to have Brother Larry come talk about money because our pastor, who's been here 27 years, never talks about money. And I'm like, great. You know, I'm the guy that's going to take all the hits and then I'm going to be gone, you know. But the Bible talks more about it. And if it's talked about in the Bible, you and I ought to be talking about it. And the reality of it is, churches won't have any more money than what we teach people about how to handle their money. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So I hope that you'll hang with me the entire time that we're here. It's going to be a lot of talking. You should have a outline, a fill-in-the-blank outline. You should have a pencil or something to fill in those blanks with and we're going to be talking about what the bible says about money a challenge to give the next session during the worship hour and i'm sure there'll probably be other people that'll be coming in at that time and then we'll also after lunch we'll be doing two other sessions about how to get out of debt and we'll be teaching you how to manage your money better and give you some hints in that regard and then the last session on grace giving because we're sharing about the difference between a tithe and an offering. So God's got a plan for managing money that produces freedom, financial freedom. Because what people that don't manage their money are in is they're in financial bondage. And God's plan for giving emphasizes giving through the Lord's church. And here's what Jesus had to say, and it should be on the slide. It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, it's interesting to me that that shows up in the Bible in the book of Acts because Luke, the doctor, wrote that, and he put it in the book of Acts, and he's telling us and reminding us that we're more blessed to give than when we receive. Have you ever given a gift to somebody? Raise your hand. It's okay to raise your hand church. All right, that means you're still awake. When you give a gift, who gets the greater blessing from given the gift 
You do because you enjoy seeing somebody open a gift that you gave them and it's something that they really wanted to receive, right? And so Jesus said we're more blessed when we give than when we receive a gift. And he makes it plain that money can be a false idol and a false god in our lives. And I want you to listen what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 24, no one can be a slave to two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and slaves of money. In other words, you can't serve both. You can't serve God and you can't serve money. You got to choose who you're going to serve. And so how many of us know somebody who's allowed God to become a false I mean, money to become a false god in their lives. And could that be true of you? I hope it's not true of you that you've allowed money to become a false god in your life. You see, the tragic thing in America today, and people don't realize this, you see all these pet stores, pet sense, pet smart, all these places. Did you know that in America today that people spend more money on their pets and pet food than they do giving to the local church over the course of a year. Isn't that kind of sad? That more money is given to our pets than it is given to the local church. So money has become a number one false god in America. And in Scripture, God has a financial plan to follow. And when we follow God's plan, the result will be financial freedom for our families. So we're going to look at two major truths in the Bible, and the first truth is this. God's plan to financial freedom calls for money to be obtained honestly. That's the blank there on the outline. So we've got to obtain money the honest way. Not to take money from somebody else, but to obtain our money in an honest way. And as Christians, we've got to recognize God's ownership. As a verse of Scripture out of Job, chapter 41, verse 11, the Bible says, Everything under heaven belongs to me. How much is everything? Everything is everything. So that means everything, if we believe the Bible, and this is our instruction manual for our lives, everything under heaven belongs to God. So everything belongs to God. And then Psalm 24, and verse 1, the Bible says, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, all belong to God. So everything in the earth, both of those verses tell us, everything belongs to God. So here's what those verses teach us. First of all, the heavens and the earth belong to God. So that's the next blank on the outline if you're hanging in there with me. All possessions belong to God. Now you go over to Haggai. One of the minor prophets, that's over in the sticky, clean pages of the Old Testament, because we use the lean toward the New Testament, don't look at the Old Testament that much. Haggai was a prophet who was talking about how the people of God had gone and built their houses, and they'd had these great, big old, nice, ornate houses, and they had great places to live, but they didn't have great place of worship because they had not built the temple. And so Haggai came along and he said, you know, why is it that you've got a great place to live, but when we come to worship God, we don't have a place to worship God that's nice. And he said, you put all your resources in a bag that's full of holes. And what he said in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8 was, 
the silver and the gold all belong to me. In other words, he was reminding people that had built these nice homes for themselves, everything you got belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to God. Now notice the next thing is all the land belongs to God. The land is not to be permanently so because it is mine. Of what the Bible says in Leviticus 25, verse 23. And you are only foreigners and temporary residents on my land. Now you might kind of bow up and say, well, now wait a minute. Down at the courthouse, my name's on the title for that land. Well, that might be, but that land really doesn't belong to you. All the land, according to Genesis chapter 1, was created by who? Thank you, Pastor. It was created by God. All the land was created by God. So you don't even belong the, uh, own the land that you're living on. All the land was created by God. Everything was created by God. And if you look at that verse again, it cannot be permanently so because it's mine and you're only foreigners and temporary residents on that land. So if you and I are foreigners, look at the person next to you and say, you're a foreigner to me. You're not even a, you're a temporary resident. The reality of it is we're all temporary residents. If we're believers, we're foreigners and temporary residents in this land. Now, some people get an attitude about we're taking in too many foreigners into the United States, refugees and all these people from other countries. The reality of it is we're foreigners because this is our temporary home. Our eternal home as believers is heaven. Now, that'll change your attitude toward these people that are coming from other countries. And then also, if you think about it too... If you look at Acts chapter 17, I'm not going to chase this rabbit, but go back and look at Acts 17. It says that all these things, if we, we serve our sovereign God, that means God was here in the very beginning. God's going to be here at the end. And God knows what was going to happen from the beginning. God already knows what the end's going to look like. And all in between, he said that all the nations are where they are and all the people are where they are. And God did this for a purpose. So all this immigration and all this refugee stuff that's going on, guess what? God put these people here for a purpose. It used to be that we had to go across the sea in order to be a missionary. All you got to do now is go to Walmart and you'd be a missionary, okay? And the reality of it is you sit in front of your computer and be a missionary across the world. And so we don't need to be worried about the fact that we're worrying about all these foreigners in our land. This isn't our land anyhow. It's God's land. If you think about it that way, it changes your whole attitude toward people that don't look like us, don't talk like us, and don't have the same skin color as we do. Okay, that's another sermon for another day. The people belong to God. Did you realize you're not even your own, you don't even belong to yourself? Think about that. You do not know, do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, which, um, who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So in other words, God says, I bought you with a price. What was the price that was paid for us? Jesus shed blood on the cross at Calvary. 
So you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been purchased with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God because Christ died for you. And you received that purchase of redemption. And so we, we don't even have control of ourselves. If we're supposed to be under Christ's control of ourselves. So if Christ controls us, guess what? He controls also our money. You okay out there? We don't control anything. Now you might say, well, I'm in charge of things at my house. Yeah, some of you guys, I run things at my house too. The vacuum cleaner, the dishwasher, you know, everything that's at my house, I run it because she says to run it. The reality of it is we control things. Yeah, we really do. But in, in reality, God controls everything. And if we think about it, if we're in the proper perspective, we're in a partnership with God. He's the senior partner, and we are the junior partner in that relationship. As a Christian, we've got to set the responsibilities called for in the, in the partnership. Any of you ever been in a partnership? Some of you may even be in a partnership in a business. My dad was in a partnership with his four brothers in the masonry contractor business. Trust me, it didn't work out too well. But the reality of it is that you have responsibilities when you're partnership. Here's the first responsibility we have in our partnership with God. Work and trust God for the results. That four-letter word that we don't like to talk about, work. W-O-R-K. Where did it come into place? In the Garden of Eden. And it was a part of placed upon man when man sinned in the garden. And as a result of that, God has a part in the partnership, and man has a part. God's part is, he says, I will supply your needs, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How much is all? Hey, y'all. If i got to repeat myself, we're going to be here a long time. How much is all? It's all. All means all. God supplies all of our needs. Now, the challenge we have, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, we got to figure out what is a need and what is a want. Now, my grandkids know very well what a want is. I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. But they don't understand right now what a need is. When they get a little older, they start understanding what I've got to really need versus what I really want. And so we have to understand that God supplies all of our needs. Number two responsibility, man's part, is that we've got to work. The Lord took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work and to watch over the garden, Genesis 2.15. And then third responsibility is that why are we to work? What is our responsibility in doing that? To share with others and especially to take care of our families. Ephesians 4.28 The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone that's in need. So we work so that we can share with people that have needs and to take care of our families. And that's the reason that we are to work and to do those things. So God's plan for financial freedom calls for us to develop a biblical monetary system. Now, the thing about it is, is this stuff doesn't get taught in schools. 
But it has to be taught in church. That's why Pastor Mike's asked me to come in. That's what we're doing as part of this capital campaign is to talk about the biblical monetary system. We live in a very materialistic world. And you look on television, look on ra- you listen on radio, you uh, in schools, and everything we see is very materialistic. You've got to have this, you've got to have that. And it's all these things that we're told that we, we have to have in our lives. And most of them are things that they tell us that we need, but really most of them are things that they want us to have that we really don't need. And one who is in love with money and the things that money can purchase, that's what a materialist is. When you're in love with money and the things that money can purchase, you're basically a materialist. And here's what the Bible has to say. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 10. Now think about that. Now that was one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. And why is it misquoted? Because most people say, well, you know, money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that before? And it really is at the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. When you start loving money more than you love God, that's when it becomes evil. Money in itself is not evil, but when you love money more than you love God, then it is evil. And so when you love money, you have a heart problem, not a money problem. You okay? I'll say that again because you might want to write that down and think about it. When you love money, you have a heart problem. You don't have a money problem. And some people have a heart problem because they love money more than they love God. And the way that shows up is, is folks working more than one job, not because they have to, but because they want to because they like all the things that the money affords that they can buy from the extra job. Or, you follow me? And working overtime and taking away from their families because they want all these extra things that the money can buy. And the Bible gives us a great example of that. You got a smartphone device, you got your Bible with you, Look over to Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, and we'll see a great example of a person who was a materialist in the Bible and how it got that person into trouble. And you'll see that this has been around for a long time. It's not just something new that just cropped up, but Luke chapter 12 tells us the story of a rich person who Jesus called that person a fool. Now, that's pretty strong language when Jesus calls somebody a fool. But that's what he was called because he was too preoccupied with stuff and it wasn't preoccupied with God. Luke chapter 12 and look at verse number 16. I'm going to read verses 16 through 21. Then he told them a parable. Now, a parable in the Bible is an earthly story that had a, a heavenly meaning. A rich man's land was very productive. And by the way, I'm reading from a Holman Christian Standard Version of the Bible. He thought to himself, 
What shall I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you hear that last part? Who are we supposed to be rich toward? Toward God, not toward ourselves. So this is what that story tells us. Why did Jesus call him a fool? Well, look at what he filled his mind with. First of all, if you notice in the first part of that chapter, those verses, he said, he thought to himself. So this is what he had in his mind. This is what he filled his mind with. He thought money could meet all of his needs. That's really what he thought. He thought if he had money, it would meet all of his needs. Why? Because he had allowed money to become the center of his life. Money had become a false god in his life. And he thought money could, he thought he could leave God out of his decisions. He didn't consult God before he spent money. He just went out and just spent money and didn't even think about it because he saw himself as the owner. That's why he said, he thought to himself, what shall I do? See, God wasn't even in that equation. He just said, God, what do you want me to do with the money that you've given me? He said, what shall I do with my money? See how his thinking was even twisted and he wasn't even thinking correctly? I have no place to store my crops. He forgot whose crops they really were. They weren't his crops. They really were God's crops. And God was the senior partner. He was the junior partner. And all that stuff that he had wasn't really his. It was God's. And he wasn't consulting God on any of those decisions. He had left God completely out of the decision-making. And then he thought security could be found in money. Now, a lot of folks in our world today think that security can be found in the stock market, and they find out differently when in 08, a third of the investments just went gone. And a lot of people thought that, well, I'm going to get to retire early, and they're still working because a third of their investments went gone. Because all of it looked good on paper, and now they're trying to tell you, buy gold and all these other things, because that's something that's tangible. It's not just a number on a piece of paper. And the reality of it is, this is what this man did. He had his security and his money. Jesus pictures this man saying, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. I'll store all my grain and goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you've got many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry, enjoy yourself. And for this man, he thought money could buy everything he needed. In other words, his security was wrapped up in his money. He didn't understand eternal security. To him, security had to do with this life, this life only, and he wasn't thinking about eternal life. He's just thinking about here and now. And right now, things are looking good because I got money. And I can build bigger barns and I'll take care of everything I got right now. 
And he wasn't thinking about later on. He was living for the moment. Number two, here's what he left out of his thinking. He didn't think about God's ownership. We just talked about that. All the way through the parable, we find phrases like this, my crops, my grain, my goods, my soul. Now, if you're like me and you've got a hard copy of the Bible, you might want to circle every time you see that word, my, 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 my. It's just like a kid. You know, my little granddaughter, we got her a, a motorized car. Anybody ever seen those little battery-operated cars? Maybe your kids have got them. And her little brother wanted to get in that car. You know what the first word she said was? This is my car. She wouldn't let him in that car whatsoever. It's mine. That's what this guy was saying. Mine, mine. He didn't think about giving either. He had more money than he needed, but he never thought about giving it away because the heart, not the bank account, determines giving. And so a man does not give when he has little. He's not going to give when he's got a lot. And unless God changes that person's heart. And he didn't think about eternity. He wasn't preparing for the day and for eternity. He was preparing for the day and not for eternity. No wonder God called him a fool because only a fool would invest everything he's got in a dying venture. And this man was considered a fool because he poured all of his life into money and he loved money more than he did his own life. So if God doesn't want us to be materialist, then we've got to accept his ownership. And then there's some biblical principles that explain how we should live in regard to money. So we've got to reject being a materialist and put some biblical principles into place. So here's the first principle that we need to put into place. Live according to Bible priorities and put some priorities into place. So if we don't want to be materialists, here's the first priority we got to have in place. We've got to put God first in our lives, not ourselves. And the Bible says, No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Observe the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your produce from what you sow in the field. That's in Exodus 23, verses 15 and 16. So God wants us to give to him the first fruits from the harvest. That's what he was telling the people. Honor means to be wealthy toward God. Honor God by being wealthy toward Him. Give Him the very best that we have. Not what's left, but what's first. And as we give first fruits, we express our gratitude to God. It's our way of saying thank you to God for what He's given us. The other week when I was here, I mentioned to you, none of us could outgive God. John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. There's no way we could outgive Him. And so we need to express gratitude for what God's already done. The way we do that is by giving back to God. And uh, that's our way of saying thank you to God. And as we give our first fruits, we're expressing our faith in God that God's going to take care of us. And God's going to provide. God has promised to meet our needs when we are given with the right motive and with the right purpose. So we got to put God first. The second thing is we got to put our families second. Better a dry crust with peace than a house full of feasting with strife. 
Proverbs 17, 1. Do you know what the number one reason that families and marriages wind up in divorce? What they argue about most? Money. How we're going to spend it, what we're going to spend it on, what we're going to spend it to buy, what we're going to purchase, all those kind of things. Arguments about tangible stuff. Money. And what the Bible is saying here in this verse is, a home is better off with a few material things, but is rich in the things of God. That home is really more wealthy than a home that's got a bunch of stuff. And there's a lot of people that's got a bunch of stuff, but they're not happy. And we read about them in the news where somebody's committed suicide or something's happened. They got all this stuff, but they still don't have happiness. Because wealth can't buy happiness. The only way you can have happiness is when you have a right relationship with God. And then we we got to teach our children how to put God first. We have to they have to understand the priority of how God needs to be first. And the best way for them to learn that is through who? Parents who are modeling for their children the biblical priorities themselves. So they're watching what we're doing, and if we're living materialistic lives, they're going to do the same thing that we're doing. And if we're preoccupied with stuff, they're going to be preoccupied with stuff as well. And uh, then mothers should keep their priorities right. There's some mothers that are working outside the home not because they have to, but because they want to, neglecting their families. And um, some cultures in our society today, particularly in the Hispanic culture, I was with a Hispanic family the other week, and the mom and dad have rotated jobs and who stays at home, but they made a commitment that one of the parents is going to be at home with those children the entire time raising those children because it's a priority for them to raise their children by a parent, not by a daycare center, but by a parent. Now, I'm not trying to guilt anybody that's got children in daycare. Mine went to daycare. But the reality of it is, is that they made a commitment they're going to raise their kids themselves, not somebody third party that's going to take care of their kids for them so that they can accumulate wealth. And some people have made the priorities wealth rather than their children. Now, I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm just saying you've got to evaluate where you are and what your priorities are. And fathers sometimes have put God, uh, have not put God first, but they put wealth first, and they aren't spending any time with their kids. And we see families, I know as pastors, we see Kids growing up with parents, uh, these kids coming to them and say, I don't, you know, I, I've got a dad, but I really don't have anything that I can really reflect on and say that my dad and I did growing up together. I don't remember anything we did because my dad was always doing what? Working. Was he working because he had to or because he wanted to? Am I right, Pastor Mike? And so many times it wasn't because he had to, it's because he wanted to. And guys, I know sometimes that's the man thing. You know, the first question out of a guy's mouth when he talks to another guy is this. What do you do for a living? You know, what do you do? And, you know, and so the reality of it is we have to really measure are we spending quality time with our families? Are we, do we have our priorities right at home 
so that our families are, 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 are in the right position and our kids know who we are and are being taken care of correctly and they know that we're there for them. And so we've got to put our God first, family second, and our jobs third. The second principle is live wisely by being disciplined to save. The reality is nobody's saving money anymore. Here's why we need to save emergencies. And the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but foolish men devour all they have. Proverbs 21, 20. So you never know when an emergency is going to come up. That's why they call them emergencies. You don't know when they're going to come up. So if you're not saving any money, you're not going to be prepared when the emergencies come. So I want to encourage you to save some money for emergencies so that you're prepared. And you're prepared for those emergency times. You may not know this, but in America today, one-third of men are going to wind up being disabled before they reach retirement age. So the guys in this room, either one-third one of the guys in this room are going to wind up disabled either permanently or short-term before they reach retirement age. And we don't know who they are. It could be me. And you know how long it takes to get short-term disability going? Three months. If you don't have an emergency fund, who's going to pay your house payment for three months? You see what I'm saying? And uh, who's going to take care of your family and buy groceries for that time period? We've got to have some emergency funds. The second reason we need to save is save for the future. Now, we can learn this from an ant. That's what the Bible says. An ant gets prepared in the in Proverbs. It tells us this. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. The ant teaches us to make provision while you can. Ants store up stuff for the wintertime. And then they come out in the spring. And so they store up stuff. They get ready. They prepare for the seasons. And you and I need to prepare. We need to get prepared and save for the future. Then number three, live a life of helping the poor. Here's what the Bible says, Deuteronomy 15, 11, For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I'm commanding you, you must be willing to, uh, to lend to the poor, your hand to the poor, to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. And we never know when we're going to encounter somebody that needs a helping hand. I'm going to tell you just a brief story and then I'll move on. Where my office is located in Conyers, we're right off of I-20. We get a lot of pass-through people. Some people just drop through and some of them are legitimate, some of them aren't. But I don't ever know when they're legitimate and when they aren't. And you probably get people sometimes that ask you for stuff and you don't know, well, I don't know if I need to get to them or if I don't. And a dear friend of mine, a minister friend of mine, told me this. He said, you know, I just have to follow my heart. He serves in the biggest, he served for a number of years in the largest mobile home park in Georgia, which happens to be in the smallest county in Georgia, Rockdale County, Lakeview Mobile Home Park. 750 mobile homes. It's all Hispanic now. 
And he said uh, people criticized him because his church, he gave away just massive amounts of food, money, and all kind of stuff to help people. And people would say, well, you, you need to be doing more screening than that. You know, you're just giving stuff away. You know what Frank said? He said, I give as the Lord leads me to give to people, and once it leaves my hands, I'm not responsible for it anymore. I did what God told me to do, and then they're responsible to do what they're supposed to do. And so this guy comes to the office, and he says, I need a place to live. I'm homeless. I don't have anywhere to live. don't have anything, any way to take, take care of myself. And, and um, family's already rejected me, and, I, and for good reason. It was drugs and all this kind of stuff. And my, God just, this several years ago, God brought to my heart to help that guy. So I took him to a house where they rented rooms. And I took out of my pocket, not saying anything special about me, but I took my own money and I put him up in a room and paid for him to have a place to stay. I put him in touch with another guy that I knew that hired day help and got him a job and got him on his feet, got him on his way. I didn't see him for three years. And I walked into one of our churches, invited to a church. wasn't one of our churches, but it was a prospective church that wanted to join our association. And as I'm walking in the back door and walking to get in to find a seat, this guy comes off the platform. It was a black church. He's sitting on the platform, and he comes bounding off the platform, running down the center aisle, and grabs and hugs me about halfway down the aisle. And it was the guy that I'd helped three years earlier. He had now given his life to Christ, called to preach, and was the assistant pastor at that church. And I thought to myself, what would have happened had I not helped him three years ago? Why did I say that to you? I say that we need to think about the fact that God gave us resources so we can help somebody else. And so many times we've been taken advantage of, we ought to also realize that we've given the government the privilege of helping people that are poor when the church ought to be helping them. And we need to give to those that are poor and not be uh, cautious in giving. Number four, be cautious with debt. Be cautious with debt. Here's two things we need to realize. Number Letter A, pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. Don't get a burner phone and so give them a number that they can't call you back when you owe something and say, I'm not going to answer that phone because they don't know how to reach me now. Here's what the Bible says about people that owe money. The wicked borrow and do not repay. So people that are wicked borrow money and don't pay it back. I don't know about you, but if you're a follower of Christ, you don't need to be counted with the wicked. And then follow the biblical concept of surety, which means guarantee. There's two things about surety or guarantee. First of all, there's a warning against co-signing. Um, my brother did what Russell does, works in the bank. He did it for over 20 years. And um, his phrase was a cosigner was a fool with a fountain pen. Because about 80% of the people that cosign have to wind up paying that note. Do you know that? 
Most people that co-sign wind up having to pay. That's the reason they get you to co-sign. So that somebody's obligated for that debt. Proverbs 17, 18 says this, It's poor judgment to co-sign a friend's note to become responsible for a neighbor's debt. And then secondly, surety warns against debt that exceeds the value of collateral. We usually break that principle in two ways. When you buy a car, you need to ask yourself, can I afford a new car? What happens to a car when you buy a car, brand new, and drive it off the lot? It devalues immediately when you drive off the lot. That's why they have to give, they want you to buy insurance to value the car, and the insurance is costing more than what the car is worth once you drive it off, correct? Yeah, they do that for a reason. And then the other way that we break that principle is with these little things right here. Y'all got these? Credit cards. And the only way that you can use these and use them correctly and not break biblical principle is to pay them off at the end of the month. I'm sure all y'all do that, right? I didn't hear any yes. Yeah, so the reality of it is, if you don't, then you're breaking the principle of surety because you're obligated to the debtor that you have on that card. And the reality of it is, that's what, the, that's what these credit card companies want you to do, is become obligated to those high interest rates and continue to have to pay that, and that's where your money's getting, your margin of money's going to, is to those debts. So here's the reality. If we need the future, doing business the world's way might work. But the problem is, only God knows the future. You and I don't know the future. So we've got to do things God's way. Here's what James 3, 4, 13 and 14 says. Come thou, those who say, listen, tomorrow, today or tomorrow we'll go to that city or this city, spend a year or two there, carry on business, make money. Why? You do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a while, then it vanishes. So ask yourself two questions. Did you hear that? You're a mist. You appear for a while, and then you vanish. So in the scope of eternity, we're only here for a little while. In other words, we're just here for a little while. Eternity is forever and ever and ever, and we think life is a long time, but we're just like a blip on the radar screen. Boom. We're gone. Here's the questions. Am I using debt to climb above the lifestyle God intends for my family or me to have? Am I using debt to climb above the lifestyle God wants for us? And if it's a real need, then will not God provide it for me? Here's a little acrostic that sometimes we don't often think about. The word debt. D-E-B-T, and I don't think I put it on the slide. Yeah, I did. It's up there. You see it on there? Debt. Doing everything but tithe. I'm doing everything else but tithe. Because my tithe and my giving to God is going to my debt. I'm spending it somewhere else. I'm doing everything but doing what God wants me to do with my money. So since God is the only one who knows the future, the smart way to do things is to do things God's way. Let's bow for prayer and ask God's...
blessing on our time together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had to spend together. Thank you for reminding us of how important it is for us to follow your instructions, biblical principles that are always true, sound, and good judgment. Bless us today. Help us to take these things in and our hearts and our lives to adjust our lives and make the necessary adjustments that are needed for us to be the kind of people that you'll be pleased with and can honor you. I ask God that you'll bless our time and use us for your honor and your glory and use this process, this generosity today to make us generous toward you and make us, Lord, the kind of people that you can use. And Lord, so that we can be great testimonies of your grace. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.